Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Do you have an enemy? I want you to think right now, like in your mind, like somebody who you would consider an enemy in your life. Like you'd be like, what? I don't like, I'm not at war. Like, is there really an enemy that you like picture someone in your life like that? A lot of times when you think about enemies, you know, you have this big picture of like movies and what that looks like, like the good versus the bad and that kind of thing. But I'm talking about maybe somebody who uh, has hurt you or done something against you in some way, has offended you or talked about you or done something that's just, just really hurt you. Um, so maybe you are angry with them. Maybe you feel justified in those feelings even uh, with your anger against them. Or is there somebody in your life that you just don't want to succeed? Like, I don't think they deserve it. Like, I think I deserve it. I don't think they deserve it. When, when we look at these kind of attitudes and what that looks like, like thinking back to my, I had a younger brother, four years younger than me, and when we were very young, we got in trouble. We were out and we got in trouble. And actually, when we got home, well, my dad said, when we get home, you're getting spanked, which is like the worst thing you can hear. So when we got home, he was the first one to get punished. So I'm sitting there just waiting, and so he gets put over the knee, and then I watch as he gets, you know, spanked. And not very hard. And um, so my brother just gets up and says, well, that didn't hurt. And, like, that was it. Like, that didn't hurt at all. And I was like, simultaneously, I was like, number one, like, why would he say that? And then number two is like, no, you need to give it to him. Like, if I got to be spanked, he needs to hurt too. Like, that's what I was thinking. And, you know, there wasn't anything in me that was like, oh, well, I'm so glad that dad didn't hurt him, and I'm so grateful for that. Like, that's not, that wasn't in me at all. And that's like how we uh, kind of feel in those uh, situations. I had a best friend, like, going through uh, high school, and I just felt like, um, there was like, I had to really wrestle with my heart in certain things because I didn't want him su- to succeed. Like, like his dad was the assistant principal and like, if, I felt like, like everything just went great for him. He like got good grades and like was doing great in sports and like I wasn't doing as great as him. And I was like, I really wrestled with that. Like why, why do I have this? And like he gets all that. Um, but I had to examine my heart. Um, uh, an example that kind of popped in my head this week of, of that is if you've ever watched an award show, and I don't recommend watching award shows really anymore, but if you think about like there's like five actors up for an award, right, and you see all five of them on the screen at the same time, and then all of a sudden they call out, this one is the winner, right? And then you watch all the other ones like this, like with that face, like, <laughs> like they're trying to be happy. They have that smile on, but you can tell they're not happy for their success and who they are. Um, they have a forced, happy face. Um, and we see this in other areas like politics. Man, we can become ugly people when it comes to politics. Um, and I remember there was years ago, like, I had to, like, check my heart because going through an election and, like, when it didn't go my way, like, I was, like, depressed for, like, a week. And I'm, like, I am just, like, I felt like it was us against them and, like, we were at war and, like, and my heart was just not in the right place in so many areas. Um, it's also that way if you think about it for, with sports, with, with uh, some people. Ohio State and Michigan, right? I just say that, and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh. Like, there's like mortal enemies, right? Um, and we forget it's just a friendly, fun competition. But if you remember on January 2nd, um, remember uh, DeMar Hamlin? 
Do you remember this? When he collapsed on the field because uh, he had cardiac arrest and like everybody stopped. And all of a sudden it wasn't like two enemies, right? It wasn't two teams fighting against each other. All of a sudden everybody was praying for him together. And that like, to me, that's a perfect picture of what it means to be um, on the same team. They prayed together for a common purpose. Um, But as we finish up Jonah here, the heart issue uh, is seen in the final chapter of Jonah, this deep hatred for an enemy that clouds his judgment. And it clouds his judgment so much that he wants to die, that he wants to die. Uh, So when we look at the book of Jonah, and especially this last chapter, we see a terrible prophet. Like, I know I say that, and like, we've gone through this, and maybe in your head you're like, well, I thought Jonah was good. Like, this is a story like that I've heard since I was a child. And I will 100% admit, like, if you are like me this whole time, and I want you to put this picture up, you have been thinking of this right there. How many people have been thinking of that as we have gone through Jonah? Why? Because, and I have nothing against VeggieTales. Like, I have a nostalgic love for them. I love Silly Songs with Larry. I love it all. But as we look at Jonah, we have to remember this isn't a children's story, right? It is not a children's story. This is, this is about a prophet who was rebellious in what he did. I put a, uh, some other pictures because, you see, this kind of is how we think about it. See, these are other pictures of the children's book. And look, and look, at, it's like the whale's happy. He's like smiling. And look, I don't even know how old Jonah is there. He's like 10. Like, that's not correct. So as we look at these things, and what it helps, what it connects us with is this, a fairy tale. Because this right here is what, when I was younger, I connected those two stories, right? Because Pinocchio was in the belly of a whale, and Jonah was in the belly of the whale. So to me, it was like, oh, these must be like on the same plane, the same story. Now, I have nothing against telling children stories from the Bible. I think it's a wonderful thing. But as we grow up, we must step out of that and realize this is God, God's inspired word. This is historical fact. This happened. And when we look at the character of who Jonah is, you have to remember it's not a children's story. It is God's word revealing an angry, disobedient, uncompassionate prophet who runs from God. And even in the end, when we get here at the end, there's no change. Like, if we would have stopped at the end of chapter 3, it would have been like, oh, this is a happy ending right here. But we go on to chapter 4, and it leaves us with questions. And we look at this, and we're like, I don't understand. Jonah didn't change in his thought process. There was no sign of change. So what is God revealing in this text? Uh, What can we learn today about who God is and who Jonah is? That is our goal. And why does it matter to us? So just to review a little bit, this will be our final week in Jonah, and we have learned that uh, this book is a historical account. And how do we know that? Because it is referenced by Jesus in the New Testament. Um, We have seen in in the three previous chapters how Jonah has been given special instructions, instructions from God to what? To go to the great city, Uh, of Nineveh, and to call out against it. Now, Jonah instead flees to Tarshish. Like, uh, was it fear? And actually, we don't know. Up until this chapter, we don't know the reason why he chose to go the other direction. But he went as far away as possible. But God's plans are clear, and Jonah, uh, thrown overboard, is swallowed by a fish, a great fish, appointed by the Lord, Yahweh. He then prays, 
He's at his lowest of low in the belly of this fish. He prays, and then God speaks to the fish, and he has vomited onto land. Now, I want you to remember, everything in this is in God's perfect control. Like, God is sovereign over this. Now, last week, Raleigh taught through chapter 3, and as we saw, uh, that Jonah finally followed God's direction. He, he went and he gave his command. He went to Nineveh and he delivered his message. And that's in Jonah 3, verse 4. It says this, Jonah began to go into the city going on a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his whole message right there. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And you have to wonder, it's short, like, was he not, like, was his heart not in it? Was he not like, hey, come on, guys, I want you to repent this short message. And then what happened? They repented. The big idea last week was repentance turns away God's judgment. And the takeaway was saving repentance is only possible because Christ took the judgment for our sin. And that's where our, that's where our focus should always be is how does this come back to Jesus? How does this come back to Jesus? So as we look at the text today, do we see a happy prophet because his message was a success? No, absolutely not. He is angry. He is very angry. He is displeased with God's will. Jonah has a rebellious heart to the will of God. So what's our big idea today that I want you to kind of step back and look at this through the whole lens of Jonah? It is this. God is sovereign despite Jonah's rebellious heart. God is sovereign despite Jonah's rebellious heart. Remember, God is in control, and it is all through this text, as you have seen. He controls the sea. He controls the wind. He appointed the fish, all of that, and we see that even more today. Um, as I was studying this week, this kind of blew my mind too, um, just more evidence that God is in control here. Uh, the Ninevites worshipped uh, Dagon, which is a god, um, uh, it's a fish god. Now, in that, D-A-G, so at the beginning of that, Dagon, D-A-G, is fish in Hebrew. So he was a fish god, and Nanshe, N-A-N-S-H-E, was the fish goddess. So when... God brought him to them in a fish. Do you think it got their attention? Absolutely. Now you step back and you look at that big picture and you say, oh my gosh, God was in control this entire time. He knew what he was doing. He knew there was going to be a fish. He knew he was going here and he was masterfully in control the whole time. So as we go through the text today, we're going to examine and we're going to see Jonah's heart. And I want to ask the question, what do we learn about Jonah's rebellious heart? Um, and why does that matter? And how could we then apply that to our own lives, all right? So let's start in verse 1. It says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So, but it there, the first, uh, the first two words there refers to the last verse in chapter 3. So just to connect that for you to see what he's talking about. So Jonah 3.10 says this. When God saw what they did, how, how they turned away from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God had mercy. He relented, so he did not punish them. 
So this is what displeased Jonah. So what do we see about Jonah's rebellious heart? First thing, Jonah was angry. Jonah was angry. And I know that's an obvious one, but a very important one as we break this down. Not only was he angry, it was like deep anger. It says exceedingly displeased. Now the the translation here um, in the text would be a strong anger. So why was he angry? There's a couple reasons it could be as you go through this. First of all, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Now, the Assyrians were enemies of uh, Judah and Israel. So we're talking war enemies, right? So they were warlike people. So wiping them off the map would be what? It'd be a victory for Israel. So this would be a win. Number two, their downfall would what? Satisfy his sense of justice. Like, they get what they deserve. This is what Jonah thinks, and they should be wiped off the, off the map. And number three, well, his prophecy would be false. Another thought there, because if he tells them they're going to be overthrown and they're not overthrown, his prophecy would not come true. So as we look at this, we always want to compare this, and I want to take you to different places in Scripture. Uh, Jonah is like the servant in Matthew, So the servant is a story about a king and a servant that Jesus tells. And I want to read that to you. Matthew 18, we're going to do verses 23 through 33. It says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. So this king and this servant, and this servant is in debt. It says 10,000 talents. It might as well be in millions of dollars, right? This is an amount that is just impossible to pay back. And so he owes 10,000 talents. And so what's the king's solution here? He's, well, he's going to sell him, going to sell his family. He's going to get money from them in that way. So the servant falls on his knees and begs him for mercy, right? And says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Just have patience. So verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Totally forgave him, wiped it away. Likewise, I want you to think about Jonah. Jonah was also a servant, forgiven and spared his life. So we see the heart of the servant in what happens next. So verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. And what did this servant say? Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Now, remind you, that's the exact same thing that he had said to the king. So he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
You see this great picture and story here that Jesus is telling, a picture of mercy that was given, but then that same mercy was not given to his other servant. And we can compare that to Jonah, because Jonah has received God's mercy. Even in the story, he has sent him a fish and received mercy. And yet he has no mercy for anyone else, just like the servant. He could not see that he received mercy and that they should also receive mercy. So I'd ask you right now to examine your own heart. Do you realize the mercy you have been given? Because that is what I want you to reflect on. That is the gospel message. So the good news when we talk about the gospel, you know, the Bible says that we are enemies of God. So we're born into sin, right? So that makes us, as the Bible says, enemies of God. So when we talk about enemies there, it's us and God. So with his righteousness, it would be just of him to what? Wipe us off the map. But what do we see? We are saved by grace, you know, just like Dan said in his testimony today. That was such a beautiful way. You could just see how transparent Dan was in that moment that he, not deserving it, received grace when he called out to God. We don't deserve it. You and I don't deserve salvation. But through God's plan, he sent his son the perfect sacrifice. He is the one who paid that debt. He took away that debt. So that when we surrender and make him Lord, we are born again. So I would ask, have you surrendered to him? Are you born again? If you are, then you should rejoice when God brings anyone to salvation. That's how I feel. When I see that somebody comes to repentance and that God saves them, I reflect on my own mercy that God has given me and how my life has changed. And I rejoice that he has done the same for somebody else. All right, let's go on to verse two. It says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, Jonah finally here at the very end of this book is revealing the reason for his disobedience and why he fled. It is because of God's character. He knew what God was going to do, and he went the other direction. So what do we see here about Jonah's rebellious heart? Jonah disagrees with God's character. Jonah disagrees with God's character. Now, he knows God's character, and he lists it out here. What is God's character that Jonah acknowledges? It is, uh, he is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love, and he is relenting from disaster. Now, these are reasons what? To rejoice. But Jonah, uh-uh. Jonah disagrees. So throughout the Bible, and I'll give you a couple examples, we see God's character described in this same way. And I'll take you back to Exodus. Now, this is God's words to Moses um, and is when the uh, Israel was disobedient. And we see God's gracious patience here also. So Exodus 34, 6, and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Once again, just um, reiterating the same point of who God is and showing 
the truth in who he is. Psalm 86.15 in the wisdom books, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then we also go to the New Testament in Peter's letter to the persecuted church. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, this is who God is. And you see it all through Scripture. Three different examples, all pointing to the truth. And we should find comfort in that. And I'm so, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful, like he is patient with me. Because I know that I don't deserve it. Because I can be stubborn, I can be angry, I can want my own way, but you know, God is merciful and he is patient with me through my sanctification. So do you realize his patience? He is patient with Jonah throughout this entire process. If you look at this book, even though he disagrees, and this is why he fled. It wasn't fear. He didn't agree with what God was going to do because of God's character. He knew God would find mercy and he disagreed. All right, let's go on to verses three and four. It says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So we see Jonah here, his reaction. There's the therefore. So because you have mercy on my enemy, this is my reaction, right? Oh, Lord, please take my life from me. He wants to die because of this. He prefers death over their salvation. What an unbelievably selfish statement that you see here as you look at Jonah and his heart. Now, as we look at this, there's another similar story that we can go to in the text. This is addressed in Luke, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. Now, the prodigal son is a beautiful story, and, and I hope that uh, it is familiar to you. Um, Jesus told the story about a son who takes uh, his inheritance from his father. He disrespects his father and wastes it. He goes and squanders it in a life of sin. After that, he's broken. He comes home, and he comes to his father, and what happens? His father forgives him. And then what happens? His father celebrates and welcomes him home. He's so glad to have him home. A beautiful story about a forgiving father. Once again, another picture of salvation, and we look at who God is. But there's another character in the story. What about his older brother? So we pick it up in verse 25 in Luke 15, and it says this. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So stop there for a second. So how should, you know, the brother, like, think about the different directions he could have went with that. He could have been like, man, I'm so glad. I have missed my brother. I was worried about him. And I'm so glad that he is home. Praise God. No, that is not what happens. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, 
who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Do you see the jealousy and the bitterness and the anger there that he has? This is the same attitude that is coming from Jonah about his enemy. So much that he's saying, please take my life from me. He wants to die. Now, as we look at this text, this isn't the first time that he's wanted to die, actually. Um, he wishes to be thrown overboard, right, to his death. Now, we knew about that there was going to be a fish coming, but obviously he didn't know that. Um, so he thought that he would die in that moment. So Jonah one twelve, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So he knew it was his fault because of his rebellion and what he did. So he says, just throw me in the water to my death. And hopefully that will appease God. But as we know what happened, and in his brokenness while he was in the fish, he then prays, like in his lowest moment. And I want to read this because this is a, a very stark contrast to where he's at in, in the text currently. So Jonah 2, 7 through 9. It says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to, uh, with the voice, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Do you see what he acknowledged there? Salvation belongs to who? belongs to the Lord. Like, it's up to him. So what a contrast in his prayer and his actions towards his enemies. So there we see at the very end in his rebellious heart that he is very angry. So God asked Jonah a question that goes unanswered. Do you do well to be angry? And that is a good reflection for us today. And I would ask you, what is... What is the benefit of an angry heart? And if you are here today and you're struggling with either somebody has hurt you or done something against you and you are bitter and you are angry towards them and you're holding that anger, this is a good question that God is asking Jonah. What, what good is that? And it is not good. And I'm not saying that somebody who did wrong against you doesn't deserve punishment or doesn't deserve something. But you're holding on to anger, and so what good is that? So we'd want to let that go. Uh, so as we go on, the question goes unanswered, right? He asks him a question, and Jonah does not answer. His heart is still the same. So let's go on to verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So after he leaves without answering the question that we know of, it says um, he went out of the city. Now, does it appear that Jonah has had a change of heart at this point? Absolutely not. In fact, it looks like he's going to get a seat to the hopeful destruction so he can watch it of the city. Because it says, till he should see what would become of the city. And he's hoping that, the, that God will take them out. That is why he is a safe distance away. So he is still hopeful for their downfall. So what do we see about Jonah's rebellious heart here? Jonah is unmoving in his opinion. 
Jonah is unmoving in his opinion. He is downright stubborn about this. So he is not changing. Now, we look here, and he went outside the city, and he set up a booth. So what is that? What is a, what is a booth? So just as we teach the text, I want to keep you aware of these things as we come across them. So this is the same structure that's mentioned in Leviticus uh, during the Feast of Tents. And I'll just read this to you. This is Leviticus 23. I want to start at verse 41. It says, You shall celebrate it at, as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All uh, native Israelites shall dwell in booths. So you see, this is something that he constructed or, or put together himself where he could stand in or be in uh, that he was used to. Now, as he is sitting there and waiting, we know that his opinion hasn't changed and he wants their destruction. But what, what would we be hopeful for Jonah? We would hope for a changed heart. So what I want to do is I want to see what a changed heart would look like. And a changed heart would look more like Jesus. So in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, it says this. Peter writes, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Right? If we want an example of what a changed heart looks like, let's look to Jesus and who he is, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did not revile. He did not threaten. He entrusted himself to what? The Father's plan. Like he understood and grasped what the Father's plan was, and he submitted to it. That is not what Jonah has done. He is not submitting to God's plan in this, and his heart is very hard. So I would ask you, are you unmoving in your opinion when you see the, God's ultimate sacrifice for you? With your attitude towards other people, I would hope that you would reflect on what God has done for you and the mercy and grace you have been given, that way that you could extend that to other people. Do you want that undeserving grace for other people? You know, I want you to think about it this way. Put a scenario in your mind, like you go to work, and there's this guy at work that is just driving you crazy, like inappropriate mouth, foul language, says things, and you're just like, oh, and then he's like poking at you, prodding at you, every day he's under your skin. Like, that's the kind of guy, and you're like, every day, I just, I don't want to deal with this guy, and I try to, I hope he's not around, but I have to deal with him. So that same guy comes up, and he says, guess what? I went to church, and I've surrendered my life to the Lord. I'm now a Christ follower. How do you react? Are you like, oh, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful that you have given your life to the Lord, and I want to disciple and help you in any way I can. Or are you like, oh, man, now this guy's going to be at church. Now i got to deal with him, and he's going to be around all the time. And, man, I don't want to be around him. Where is your heart? That's a fair question. Because I could see it going either way. Like if I would be hopeful if somebody came up and said, listen, I've surrendered my life to the Lord. Forgive me for the way I have been. You say, I, hey, brother, I forgive you. I love you. Hey, if you want to come to church, come to church with me. But where is your heart in that? All right, let's go on to verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head 
to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So now we see that God has put in motion an object lesson here for Jonah. God, in his patience and mercy, makes a point to expose Jonah's heart and what he is feeling. And how does he do it? By using a plant. Now, it says plant, and through my, through my study this week, nobody knows really, like, what kind of plant it was. Like, I read gourd, I read it's a vine, it's a castor oil plant, and all of these are ideas because they grow fast and they have, like, big leaves, so it provides shade over that. Um, really, I don't think that's important. It's just the idea is that God did this, put this plant here, and it grew overnight and put shade over him. Um, so what, what do we see here? about Jonah's rebellious heart, though, because something stands out. Something is very different than the way he has been before. We see Jonah only showed gladness for his own relief. Jonah only showed gladness for his own relief. So we see God appointed. And once again, I want to come back to this, making the point that God was in control here the whole time. He appointed the fish in verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And he appointed this plant. Now, when we look at this, and I want you to see the contrast here in the, in the first verse uh, to the verse 6. Now, in this verse, it says, exceedingly glad. He was exceedingly glad. So translated, if you look at that translation, he rejoiced with great joy. This is like so happy, like over the moon happy about this plant. Now, we see that same word exceedingly in another verse. And if you go back to verse 1, Jonah 4, 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So God has put here this contrast of his anger that was so strong to now his happiness, which is so happy over this plant. The gladness was for selfish reasons. So then, what does God do? God moves again with a worm. So the final verses show God exposing Jonah's rebellious heart. So what I want to do is we're going to just look at verses 7 through 11 through the end of the chapter here as I read through this. It says, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. Once again, God appointed. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which it came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who, are not, who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God is calling him out here and saying, listen, you care for this plant, but how much more should I care for these people, 120,000? Now, there's 120,000 persons. Uh, who do not know their right hand from their left. That means that they do not know truth. They do not know the truth. Um, 
And also he talks about the cattle, which was referred to early or in Scripture. So two things that got appointed here, the worm and the scorching wind. And once again, what does Jonah want to do? He wants to die. And why this time? Well, so God asks him, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And Jonah's last words recorded in this book are this. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He wants to die because of a plant. There is no evidence of a heart change here. So what do we see about Jonah's rebellious heart? Jonah showed more compassion for the plant than his enemies. Jonah showed more compassion for the plant than his enemies. It's almost comical as we look at this, and it's absurd. God exposes his heart, and he is what? He's without compassion. Now, if we look at this and we say, okay, well, this is the way Jonah is, but let's go back to Jesus, all right? So what does Jesus teach? So Jesus teaches a clear message, again, in in the Gospel of Luke. Luke Uh, chapter 6, verses 26 and 20, or 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So I'd ask you, where is your heart to people who hate you, curse you, and who abuse you? Now, I look at that and I'm like, How do I feel about people who hate me? Do I pray for them? Do I love them? People that curse me or talk bad about me? How do I react in that? Then also says, abuse you, people who abuse you. That's a strong word when you look at that. Um, I had a, a woman come up after first service who talked to me, and she said, I was struggling with this last night. And I said, um, uh, so she went on to explain that she has gone to, she has been reunited. She has been adopted, but she has reunited with her father who abused her when she was five years old. And in that, she has gone back to him and she has forgiven him. She says, I was, she said, just last night, I was doing this. She said, her brothers and sisters, they're all still angry. Like, they don't understand. They're like, why? And they're, they aren't Christ followers. She said, and last night, as, my, as she was talking to somebody else and exposed, talking about more that her, that her dad had done, she said, I just felt the anger coming up. Like, I was like, I was mad. And she said, I was struggling last night. She said, but I know I have to forgive him. And she said, she said, it is only by the grace of God. She said she would never in a million years be able to do that without the Holy Spirit and without Jesus. If you look at this, I also want you to think about people who are different than you. God transforms people, right? He transformed me. Like the things that I have done in my past, like it cracks me up. If I think about it, like if I met Brian from 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, I would be like, are you kidding me? Like, who is this guy? Like, I don't want anything to do with him and who he is. But thankfully, through God's patience with me that he has brought me to where I am today. I am a new creation, only through his grace, only through his mercy. And that is just as Dan said, he is a new creation. I mean, look at his past and who he was. He was, his past just went downhill, like he got involved in drugs, and then he started selling drugs in that. And then he got arrested because of it. 
Now, if you knew somebody who was selling drugs and arrested, what would you think? Would you pray for them? Would you be like, or would you be like, man, I don't want anything to do with that person? But you look how God transformed him and what he did in his life and where he is at now, and it is a miracle. And who gets the glory for that? God gets the glory for that. And it is just amazing. But a lot of times, we don't think that way, right? Dan is a new creation. I'm a new creation. If you are here today, you are a new creation. If you have given your life to Christ. And we must show compassion. All right, so as we have looked at this, um, as we wrap up the book of Jonah, we have seen the rebellion in Jonah's heart as we've gone through this, right? He was angry. Uh, Jonah disagreed with God's character. Jonah cannot bear grace being given to his enemy. Jonah is unmoving in his opinion. He is stubborn. Jonah only showed gladness selfishly. That is the only time he was happy when something was given to him. And Jonah had more compassion for a plant than people. But this rebellion did not change God's sovereign plan for the Ninevites, right? That's what you have to remember. God was in control, and his will was done. So when we come to this, so what can we learn? What can we take away from this text? When we look at Jonah's heart, I want you to compare your own heart to where Jonah is. So practically, what is our next step? Our next step is this. Love your enemy. Very direct and following what Jesus commanded. Love your enemy. So short, seems like it should be easy. It is not easy at all. But we are to grow and mature in God's grace and extend mercy to others. So we need to pray for our enemies, and we need to rejoice when God changes hearts. I want to leave you with Luke uh, chapter 6, verses 35 and 36 says this, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Once again, just showing God's character there. But what does it say in verse 36? Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Man, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Scripture says we love. Why? Because he first loved us. That is how we know love. We have received his mercy, and so we should have mercy for others. So be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So as we have studied through Jonah, please see that one thing I want you to always remember is God is in control. Very clear in Scripture that he was in control throughout this whole story. Despite Jonah's rebellious heart, now, this text has a clear message. Um, If you look back, and you know this is the Old Testament, so it was studied. um, Even by the people that we read about in the New Testament, they look back to this. So what is the lesson that they they would look? This text is a clear message for people to show mercy to others, to examine their heart as compared to Jonah's heart. Even enemies are made in God's image. Oh, that's like the hardest, like, I say that, and I'm like, okay, think about that for a minute. Even our enemies are made in God's image. We have to have the right perspective. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for their salvation. 
Look at Jonah's heart and compare your own heart. And where, where do you find yourself in that? And remember to love your enemy. All right, let's pray. Father, we just come before you today just thankful. We praise you for this text. We praise you for the time that we've got to study in the book of Jonah. And Father, as we see Jonah's life and we see his heart, and um, we just pray as we look at that, we examine our own hearts, Father. You command us to love our enemies and to show mercy and grace. Father, we see who you are, your attributes are slow to anger, and you give mercy and grace. And Father, we are so thankful for your patience to us each and every day that we know that we don't deserve. So Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that uh, does not know you, that you would draw them close to you, that they would surrender their life, just as Dan said in his testimony video where he put his arms up and he says, God, I want you to take it, take my life. Father, I pray that, um, that you would continue to draw us closer to you. Father, I pray for the, the believers here today that you would help them to love others well and extend that love even to their enemies, Father, and pray for your will to be done. Pray for their salvation in that. So, Father, we're so thankful. Continue to move in our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom and help us to love well. So we want to give you praise for our time together today. So we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.